Hi, it's episode 153. Today we're talking about simple living and free-range parenting as kids get older. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, it's Danae. It's episode 153. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that I took last week off. I was on vacation with my family. We were in Florida relaxing and doing a lot of nothing, and it was pretty amazing. But this week, we're back, and I have a few really fun things to share with you, along with an interview with Tish Oxenreiter, who is the voice behind The Art of Simple and the podcast Simple. Tish is sharing her journey to simplicity and what it's looked like for her over the past 10 plus years as her children have grown. First, let's get started with the sponsor for today. The sponsor for today's episode is Care-of. Care-of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packets right to your door. Give yourself an extra boost this season, whether you're looking for more energy, better sleep to maintain stress, or something else to help you feel your healthiest. Care of has a fun online quiz that asks you about your diet, health goals, lifestyle choices, and it only takes five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. It can be really hard to know what vitamins and supplements you should be taking, but Care of makes it easy to find out what's right for you. As with most of the sponsors that I partner with, I got a free sample of Care of to try it out, and now I've been a paying customer ever since. I truly love the product. And if you're the type of person that has a hard time remembering to take your vitamins, you can track your progress on the app and even earn rewards for taking them. To try it out for 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code FAMILIES50. Again, for 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code FAMILIES50. This week, I'm launching off something new for Simple Families. We are launching a five-day free challenge to start simplifying your family. If you've been feeling overwhelmed and feeling like your plate is too full to possibly take on one more thing, like a challenge... This is going to be quick, easy, and effective. My goal is to not have you simplify every single aspect of your family and your parenting and your home over the course of this five days. Instead, we're just going to make small, incremental, and impactful changes. What I want for you is to be able to taste simplicity, because once you get a taste of it, you're going to want more. I know that's how I felt when I first started out. So go to simplefamilies.com forward slash challenge, grab your spot. And on Friday, April 12th, we're going to start the five days. You'll get five mini videos focused on various topics of simplicity, including the toys, the clothes, parenting, mealtime, and the mental load. You'll watch those videos. And if you're active on Facebook, join our private challenge community. That's where you'll join the conversation, share pictures, and find inspiration from other families just like yours. And on the final day of the challenge, you'll join me in the starter class, which is a live one-hour workshop where you can decide if you want to take the next step and learn more. So again, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash challenge and grab your spot. It's completely free. We start on Friday, April 12th. Now for today's listener spotlight. I love sharing some of the kind, warm reflections that you all send to me each week. 
Today's listener spotlight is coming from Amy, and she wrote, I just want to say thank you. I've been dabbling in minimalism and positive parenting since motherhood started for me almost five years ago. I love the idea of positive parenting, but I've never been able to implement it and feel like I'm winning. My son is almost five and all boy. He is a challenge. A brilliant, wonderful little boy, but a challenge. Your science and experience-based minimalist parenting advice has 100% filled in the gap for me. It's like it has brought positive parenting full circle. There were certain things that didn't make sense or line up in my mind or with my kids, and I would not be sure how to react. Your simple advice has made such a huge difference. Keep up the work. The world needs it. Thank you so much, Amy. Amy, I want to say thank you for listening and reading, and I so appreciate having you a part of the Simple Families community. So we're circling back to today's episode. Today, I am sharing a journey to simplicity. And in the fall, I shared a few of these and they were so much fun. And I know that so many of you loved listening to them. With our journey to simplicity stories, I chat with a fellow family who has been working towards simple living and minimalism with their own families. And today I have a chat with Tish Oxenrider. And Tish has been on this path for over a decade. Her kids are now between the ages of 8 and 14. Tish is the founder of The Art of Simple and the voice behind Simple, which is a podcast. I think you're going to love hearing from her and the wisdom that she brings. As much as I want to keep my kids little forever, the joy that she finds in parenting kids as they get older really makes me look forward to it too. If you have questions or comments, or you want to find links to the things that Tish and I talk about today, you can find those in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 153. As always, thanks for listening. Here's our chat. Hi, Tish. How are you? I'm doing well, Danae. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you on the show today to talk more about your journey to simplicity because I've talked with a lot of different families in different stages of this process. And I know that you've been at it for quite a few years, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's been on my radar for about 12 years now, ever since my family and I lived overseas and my oldest was two and now she's 14. So it's been it's been quite the journey. So start off by telling us about The Art of Simple and The Simple Show and tell us what you do for anyone that's not familiar with you. Yeah. So I run the website, The Art of Simple, which I have been since 2008. So it's been a while now. And it's taken a lot of different forms to where we first started off talking largely about simple living. And that was basically the main topic. And the reason was because I had started it when I was living overseas. And that was definitely on the forefront of my mind. And, you know, I felt like I was learning how to redo everything from scratch, building a home in a cross-cultural environment. Well, now, fast forward 12 years, the broader way we like to describe what we're about is live well so you can ignore the rest or live well and ignore the rest. And so we, we talk about that on the blog and on the podcast called Simple. We talk about that too, but it's much broader. And so simple living as like a topic is, is sort of one thing of several that we talk about with the larger umbrella idea of just living well. Tell me about your family. Where do you live? How old are your kids? My three kids are age 14, 11, and eight and a half. And we live just north of Austin, Texas, which is my hometown. But we have lived all over the place, quite literally around the world, as well as up in Oregon for a while. 
So tell us about this discovery or this draw towards simplicity when you were abroad. Where were you? We were living in Turkey, and it was along the Turkish coast where everything was bright and beautiful. And we lived in a high-rise apartment where we could see the bay of the Aegean Sea. And we really loved it there. You know, my husband Kyle and I had met overseas already in Kosovo in um, the Balkan area. And so we already knew we wanted to live and raise our children cross-culturally. However, that doesn't mean you actually... you know, feet on the ground, know what you were doing. And so for me, the, the kind of cool thing about moving overseas is that you feel like you get a little bit of a do-over. You know, we had been married a few years by then. And so even when we were engaged, we had the idea of moving overseas. So we didn't try to accumulate too much anyway from the get-go. However, it just happens. Like, as everybody knows, somehow you wake up and it's like, how did I all this stuff get into my house? And so I felt like with moving overseas, it was like getting a permission slip to um allow only what I wanted into those front doors and um, not just like by default have stuff. And so we had shipped over 10 boxes worth of things, which looking back now, I actually feel like it's quite a lot. But at the time, it felt like almost nothing. And from there, we piecemealed, you know, a brand new apartment and home. And so for me, I was just relearning how to do everything as well in a culture that was much slower uh, everything took longer from cooking to doing the laundry to just, you know, taking your kid to the park and going to the grocery store. So in a way, I kind of felt like a toddler learning how to be a grown up for the first time. So it was a great way to, uh, you know, catalog my experiences through a blog. Now, would you say that moving slower is something that comes naturally to you? Or is that something that you really had to work at? It was something I really had to work at at first. So, you know, living in Turkey was definitely like slamming on the brakes in my kind of inner American self. You know, I would say vocally, of course, I value relationships over getting things done or efficiency. But it's one thing to say that and the other thing to live it. And it's amazing how much it kind of just rubs right against you and your um, proclivities whenever suddenly you live in a culture that really and truly does value relationships over getting things done. And so your neighbor comes over and suddenly you have to put your agenda on hold. I mean, I say have to in quotes, but you know, the, the neighborly relationship building thing to do is invite your neighbor over. You have tea for hours and hours. And, you know, we learned soon after being there that if we were invited over to someone's house for, you know, the afternoon, plan to stay there the rest of the day into midnight, um, just because that's the way it is. And so everything is slower and, um, it really rubbed off on me to where now, you know, all these years later, I still prefer that if I, you know, if, if everything worked in my favor, I would love to just live a lifestyle like that, even here in the U.S. So how did you move there without kids and had your first kid there or was your first child already born? My oldest was two. And then we got pregnant with number two. I want to say within the first like six weeks, it did not happen, uh, you know, soon after we moved in. And so my whole time there, because we lived there about three and a half years, I was either dealing with little kids pregnant or newborn stage the entire time I was there while also trying to learn a new language and, you know, run a home and a family all at the same time cross-culturally. So how do you feel? Tell me about Turkish parenting. Do you feel like it's so different from American parenting or what sort of lessons did you learn from them? There's a lot of similarities and differences, but um, of course, you know, it, it's one of these things where you are almost more surprised at the similarities. But I would say in general, the differences is that it's a lot more free range, which I love. I'm a big believer in 
more or less free range parenting. I don't know if that's like an official term, but I um, really just learned from Turkish parents how to let kids climb trees and with the potential that they might fall because that's where you learn. There's actually a proverb that says the safest place for a kid to be is in a five foot tree because what that, oh, I love that. Yeah. What that means is it's still low enough to where they're not going to die or even break an arm most likely, but they could fall. And that's a good thing because they are learning autonomy and resourcefulness and risk and all those things. So I learned a lot from Turkish parents how to let go. And so we would go to a park, let's say, and, you know, we would go to this particular one that overlooked the bay. It was right along the ocean and kids just run off and you would lose sight of them. And I'm talking, you know, the whole time we were there, my kids were five, six and under. And so in the little kid stage, and I learned a lot about like, just let it go. They will, they're around here somewhere. I don't need to have, you know, laser vision eye on them the whole time. And I would say to this day, it's really leaked into how I parent now in this stage I'm in. I think that you touched on an important point, because I think in the early years of parenting, the community and the people that you surround yourself with have an incredible impact on the way that you parent and on the anxiety and the fear that you have around parenting and the well-being of your children. I parented, we moved from Dallas, we're in New York now, we moved from Dallas about 18 months ago. And in my community there, I felt this really strong intensity towards watching our children very closely and parenting them very intensely. And that is really what moved me towards simple living and towards slowing down was being in this community where I felt a a lot of pressure myself. And I felt that that pressure was going to be passed down to my children, whether I liked it or not, as long as I was sort of being influenced by that community. And it's it can be hard to resist when everyone around you is doing something a certain way. And it sounds like in your early years, you had sort of an opposite experience where you saw and witnessed other people letting kids go and parenting without fear. Yeah. And what's funny is anytime we would come back to the States to visit, I suddenly had that overwhelming uh, realization that I was different (laughs) from everybody else. So we would still go to the parks here in the US. And oh, my goodness. I mean, I felt the eyeballs staring at me like, do you see your kid dangling way up there? Why are you not right there? (laughs) And I had to learn to just not so much let it go. And, you know, because I'm sure most of those parents meant well. But yeah, it was it was so eye opening. In fact, when we came back, I remember my oldest um, was kind of down a little bit. And I asked her what was up. And she said, you know, I feel like that if I were if we were living in Turkey right now, you would be letting me go to the store by myself to get eggs for dinner tonight, like like the other Turkish kids were by my age, I think she was about like seven. And I said, Yeah, you're right. Because that is the way it it's done then, you know, you can just send your kid off to the store with a grocery list and they'll come back. And she was mourning the loss of no longer being able to do that because we were living in the US. And that was a thing I really mourned too. I really loved the idea of being able to send your kids off. And, you know, if you you're living in New York, is it in the city? I'm about an hour north of the city. Okay. I've heard from my friends that live in the city say that the way they describe how they parent is feels a little similar to what we got to do in Turkey because there is a little bit more of that community sense of letting your kids out and about and public transportation and that whole bit. And so that was something I really mourned when we moved back. Yeah. And I really feel like there here in the US, we have this feeling that culturally we need to overprotect our children and we need to hover over them. And if we're not doing that, we're almost being ineffective and we're inadequate at parenting. Right. 
Right. I mean, yeah, I remember even hard. I remember even that feeling. I mean, I would read there's a great book called Last Child in the Woods. And that kind of became a little bit of my Oh, yeah, the Richard Louvre. Uh-huh, book, that right? became sort of yeah. my rallying cry back in the day of early parenting, because he pointed out all the studies show you're actually endangering your kids more by overprotecting them. You know, you're not allowing them to develop the life skills that they need to survive and do well in the in the world. And so to me, it's actually much more intentional and much more thought out whenever I am choosing choosing to, quote, ignore. I'm not at all ignoring. I am choosing to keep my hands in my pockets when my kids are out there learning and exploring the world. Um, And it might look passive to the random passerby, but it is completely active parenting in that sense. I am purposely letting go. Right. And I think that's something that is, it's difficult to understand if you're not aware of this idea, this principle of really stepping back and letting go to be more intentional. Because it's kind of ironic. I, I often think that if people see me parenting, that they might think that I'm ignoring my kids or that I'm not paying attention or I'm not in tune. When the reality is I'm actually very in tuned and I'm doing it on purpose. I'm stepping back and letting them go on purpose. It's not because I'm not watching or I'm in a dream world or whatever they might think, but it's sort of, it's kind of a catch 22 in that sense. That's right. That's right. There's some parks around the world, um, you know, because we travel a lot as a family. And um, some of my favorite parks are these ones, I forget what they're called, but they basically are full of things that we would classically um, define as dangerous. You know, there's tools. Uh, adventure playgrounds. Yeah, adventure playgrounds. Thank you. That is the yeah. We have gone to a few of those around the world. And to me, it is like the height of um, feeling like I'm getting encouragement in my parenting that I'm doing it the way I would want because our kids absolutely love those places. And, you know, if you watch those videos, you see kids like lighting fires and and doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but they are actually remarkably safe because they're learning how to handle those within a, I don't want to call it a structured environment, but within a, a controlled environment maybe is the right way to put it. And to me, that's like the best illustration of the parenting that I love. Right. And I'm actually going to stick a couple of videos of Adventure Playgrounds in the show notes for anyone that's interesting, because there's some really awesome ones out there to see it in action. And it is eye opening. And to me, it feels really exciting mm-hmm. because it's like this, this is possible, we could do this. And there's, I know that there is an Adventure Playground in Berkeley, California. Yes, I haven't been. I've been but have you? You have? Mm-hmm. How is it? Oh, it's fantastic. I loved it. We It was so fun to watch our kids play around. You know, it's been a few years. My oldest, who's 14 now, was maybe 11 or so. So I don't know if she would have outgrown it by now. But she was like in hog heaven as well as my boys. So it was it's so fun. Yeah. And I was, after I heard about that, when I was hopeful, I was like, well, maybe we'll see more of those popping up. And I know that we're seeing a lot of natural playgrounds pop up. So maybe mm-hmm. adventure playgrounds will be on the rise. That's right. Maybe, maybe it's on the hopefully. Way. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I, I agree that there's, there's so much value in that. And it's, it's not easy by any means. And I had asked you if you felt like slow living came naturally to you. And I know it, for me, it didn't at all. I think I have by nature, I'm much more type A and more inclined to be moving at a fast speed. So it takes a lot of practice. And I feel like it's a constant reassessing of my priorities and reevaluating what my family needs at any given moment and making those decisions. Um, And I feel like that's going to be this this constant pursuit throughout my life is really checking myself and making sure that the way that I'm living is in the best interest of me and in my family. Do you feel like it's gotten easier or do you feel like you are going to be, is is this a lifelong journey for you too? Um, Gosh, it's hard to say, you know, whether it's classically easier, because I will say now that my kids are older, there are definitely more things vying for our attention. You know, I feel like 
Um, I probably, I don't know at what point, traded in a hat for, you know, being on the floor and building Lego to being a taxi driver a few years ago is how it feels sometimes, where my kids are now at the age where we've got a lot of extracurriculars that are tempting them, you know, or a friend hangouts. That's a huge thing. And what we have learned to do is kind of take the long game as a family and consider like what do do the five of us need and what does our calendar need and, you know, just be willing to say no and yes to the right things. So, for example, right now we have a, a family rule where everybody gets one extracurricular and that's it, which is actually quite a bit if we're dealing with three extracurriculars a week because it's one per kid. But, you know, what we've done is basically uh, decided we're only going to do these on one day. So Thursdays, for example, is our extracurricular day. That means Thursdays is nuts. But it's only one day a week. And we decided as a family, we would rather have one nutty day where it's like we barely see each other and we've just got something in the instant pot for dinner. And whenever you can get it, you get it. Um, Rather than kind of three halfway mildly feeling busy days that just feel like you're, you know, being commandeered of our time. And that's just what works for us. So that's just a little example of, you know, a version of slow living that maybe looks different than what I thought it would look like when my kids were maybe five and under. But it still feels slower because... um because we're just being intentional about it. You know, these things aren't being the boss of us. We're being the boss of them. Right. So tell us what your day looks like. That uh, Thursdays sound like a different day than others, but what does your <laughs> typical day look like if there is a typical day in your family? Sure. Of course, everybody says, well, there's no typical day. And that's very true. Um, <laughs> our kids go to a three day a week school. So they go to school Tuesdays through Thursdays and they do school at home on Mondays and Fridays. And we've chosen the school for a lot of reasons, but that's one of the highlights for me because that means basically Friday to Monday, we have, I, I don't want to call it a four day weekend because we're working, but four days where we're not having to drive all over the place. That's huge for us. And um, so they do their schoolwork at home. And I'm not homeschooling because they already know what they need to work on per those three days a week. So they're just doing the work at home, really. I mean, we're helping guide and stuff, but otherwise. Um, So we wake up the kids at, you know, earlier than I'd like. I mean, honestly, one of my least favorite parts of parenting is having to wake up kids. It feels so counterintuitive, you know, to have a sleeping child and you have to wake them up for school. And that's something that I miss because we used to homeschool. Um, But it's worth the trade off is worth it for us. So we wake up our kids pretty early and they get themselves ready. We have breakfast out on the, the table and they can pick and choose what they want. So, you know or not eat. It's up to them. And um, they get ready to go. And then they grab their lunches, which they made the night before in the fridge. They make their own lunches and put them in the fridge and then um, head out. Now, we the school we go to is really pretty far for us. We purposely live in a small town outside of Austin for a lot of reasons, which I can get into later. But the trade-off for sure is that we have a long drive to school, which is a bummer, but oh well. And so we drive about half an hour to school and on the way, we're either listening to an audiobook or maybe a podcast, but an audiobook, or we're, you know, just talking about something that is on our minds. It's a great time to have conversations with our kids. It's actually one of my favorite things to do because then on the way home, I get to catch up with, you know, a podcast or an audiobook of my own. This is the way I've decided to think about it is that it's actually a little bit of, I, I don't call it self-care because I'm still driving, but it's personal time, really. Um, And then I come home on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I do my work that um, 
you know, maybe most people know that I have in terms of writing and podcasting and doing that whole bit. So I work from home um, while my kids are at school and my husband also works from home. He um, is in the process of remodeling our old house. And so we're both at home and then uh, he goes and gets the kids and has the same experience, you know, that I was, I had in the morning. And on Wednesdays, the day that I didn't mention, I actually stay at the school and I teach high school English there. So that's my like extra hat that a lot of people maybe online don't really know about because I don't talk about it that much, but I teach high school English one day a week. Um, And then when we all come home from our respective jobs, uh, you know, school and work, then um, everybody has chores that they need to do. They can chill for a few minutes, but they can't have screen time until they do their chores. And we have three Uh, job descriptions that we rotate weekly. It took us a while to figure out, should we rotate this monthly? Definitely not daily, but weekly turns out to be good. And within each of those jobs, there are daily and weekly things that they need to do. And so they take a look at the list of what is in their job description for the week and decide what needs doing. So does something need cleaning? Does, you know, the dishwasher need emptying? Does the bathroom need whatever it is? They do a couple of those chores. And whenever my husband or I sign off on it, yep, you look good. Then um, they get a little bit of screen time. And we, of course, try to keep it you know, within this is a whole other topic that I know is on a lot of people's mind, how much screen time and how do you, you know, basically control it or whatever. The way we control it is everybody has to if you have a screen, you're out in the open. So none of this like taking your device into a room and closing the door. You are out in the open where we can actually see your screen. For us, that's just the rule of our family and the way it is. And uh, sometimes we even, if we can sense that we need a little bit more maybe togetherness or the kids need to work a little bit on cooperation, we'll say, okay, everybody's on one screen. So that's our one TV screen. You can do Minecraft together. You can choose to watch something on Netflix together, but whatever it is, you know, so we'll alternate between one of those two things. And then um, my husband is the main cook in the family. So I'm wrapping up work while he is starting dinner. And a lot of times he'll, you know, maybe grab one of the kids to help. It also one of the job descriptions is um, uh, a scholar. And so if you're the scholar that week, you might be wrapped up to help chop vegetables or do whatever to help with dinner. And then the table is set and we all sit down to to dinner together. This happens really every day but Thursday. And I'm very grateful for that. And uh, no devices on. We usually play music. And over the dinner table, we ask everybody while we're eating what was a good part of your day. And uh, we also ask, how did you fail? And that's uh, something we learned a few years ago. And it's partly to do with the type of school model we go to where um, you're encouraged to fail well, because that's one of the best learning experiences. So we all go around the table and say, what was a highlight of the day? And in what way did you fail? Because, you know, you tried something. And then after that, clear the table. And then everybody gets ready for bed. Um, You know, gosh, the whole bedtime, that could be another topic with uh, older kids. It gets a little tricky. But um, everyone gets ready for bed, which includes making your lunch for the next day. Once that's all done and everything is cleared off from dinner, then um, together, it just depends on the time of day, we'll have one of three things that we do. We will either have a game night where we play a quick game of some sort. Our family's kind of nerdy and into you know, board games or card games, or we will have my personal favorite is a family reading night, which means we um, all like we did this last night, everyone just grabs the book that they're currently reading. 
and we are all just reading our own book together. It's so nice because uh, I get to read, which is one of my favorite things. Everybody else is reading, but we're at least still being together. Or we'll have what's called a movie night, which is usually not literally a movie unless it's on the weekend. And we'll watch a show together, like, you know, one 45 minute show or something like that. And then after that activity, then we do a read aloud. So my husband and I take turns reading aloud. We're each reading a a separate chapter book and uh, we'll read a chapter or so out loud and then we will pray and then go to bed. And then the thing that's different about the bedtime, the most different then from when we were kids, as, uh, when our kids were little, and this is a, actually a thing I miss from the little kid stages, they go to bed really about nine o'clock. And so by that time, I'm ready for bed within the hour. Like I'm, you know, by that time, I'm also thinking about going to bed. I miss those like times whenever the kids are in bed and now you've got like adult time to yourself. We don't have that really as much anymore. But the trade-off is that we really do get to have real conversations with our kids and real um, interaction that I felt like I was looking forward to when my kids were younger. And it was all about just like cleaning up messes and stuff like that. Um, So anyway, that's the general routine um, on just an average weekday. So I know that was a lot. No, I think that's super insightful. So one question that I have, have, well, first of all, have you ever heard of the concept of expansion and contraction? Sometimes it's called in-breath and out-breath. Beyond working out or meditation, no. So tell me more. Okay. So basically, it's this idea of being in tune with your kids or your family or your partner, whoever it is, and understanding when there are times that we need to come together and contract and do something in a close space and activity that we're doing jointly or just close in close quarters, and then times that we need to expand where we need to separate and to be on our own. And really sort of being in tune with these two different needs helps us to facilitate our days. So we we recognize when our kids need a little bit of space and we recognize when they need connection Um, and cycling back and forth, especially when kids are little, they go back and forth between these needs a lot. Um, And I find that one of the ways when my kids need to expand is take them outside and let them run and kind of have that space. So with that in mind, my, my question is, do you feel like some of your kids need that space to sort of be on their own and to do their own thing more than others and others have... Or do you find that need changes per kid or as they get older? Mm-hmm. And does that make it sense? It does. Sorry, it's a great, <laughs> it's a fantastic question. I love it. Um, yes, for sure. So, you know, I had alluded to that our family travels a lot. A few years ago, we spent a school year traveling around the world. So we lived out of backpacks and the five of us traveled around the world. And this wasn't a vacation. This was an actual work trip. I worked the whole time and we homeschooled the kids and yada, yada. One of the uh, eye-opening experiences we had was a a few months into our trip, um, we... um, stayed at a guest house that for the first time on this entire trip, everybody had their own room. Usually it was in very tight quarters because we did this pretty frugally. Well, we just happened to have a guest house that was a little bit bigger. And so everyone got their own room. And for the first time in like months, we felt like, oh my goodness, people are getting along well on a regular basis. I don't want to say they were constantly at each other. They weren't, but we were just in tight quarters. You could suddenly tell kind of a change in attitude and and mood. Um, and then, you know, we 
we kept learning how to live with each other. And that was a fantastic bonding experience as well. But um, one of the takeaways we had from that experience was, okay, if we can at all help it, we want to live in a home where everybody has their own space. Up till then, nobody had ever had their room completely entirely to themselves. Um, We really prefer having a small space for a lot of reasons. Well, cut to the chase, we ended up buying this house in this, it's an old house in an old neighborhood, very intentionally. And because it's an old house, it tends, you know, it's a little bit smaller, it's 1400 square feet. But we configured the layout so that everybody had their own room. So everyone has their own small room, but it's their own room. And we did that very intentionally, because we are big believers. And while we like a lot of family time together, we also really believe everybody needs their own space. And so that's been helpful. And I, I also get the benefits of why sharing a room is good. And so it's not a like one is bad and the other is good. It's a what works for each family. And this works for our family. Our middle guy is actually on the autism spectrum. Um, And so for him, he definitely does well when he has a little bit of his own space because he's got a lot of sensory input needs. And so he goes to his room specifically so that he can kind of have a detox from that sensory input from the world, um, you know, with a weighted blanket and and darker paint and cooler and and all that kind of stuff. And that helps him a lot. And so we for sure find the need for... um, a variety of, like you say, the I like that expansion and contraction. Um, we've also found that whenever we get the sense that one of our kids is a bit too cabin fevered or just at each other or whatever, we'll tell them they have to go on a walk. And so we'll send our kid out. Um, this is partly the neighborhood we're in and partly also just our free range parenting style. We'll let our kids just go on walks by themselves. And so um, we'll send them on a, you know, go around the block three times. And, you know, they can take their bike or their skateboard or just go on a walk and they just have to have a cool off time. And we find that seems to help a lot as well. So that's probably another example of how we maybe do that. Good. I love that. And I'm curious about as you're practicing these free range parenting tendencies, if you do get a lot of pushback from your community. I mean, I know I was in a in a department store a couple of weeks ago with my three year old and she was she wasn't arm's length in front of me, but she was probably like six feet in front of me. And some older woman stopped her and said, Oh, honey, where's your mother? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I do you feel like you get that with your eight year old or I mean, even your 11 year old 14, I could see people maybe giving a little more autonomy at that point. But when did you see community start to change on this idea? Well, you know, it's kind of funny, there's this both like perception of being kind of judged or stared at and the reality. I was hyper concerned about this when we first came back really from our around the world trip more than Turkey, Turkey, because uh, that trip validated to me, Ooh, our kids can really handle a lot of freedom. And yet, you know, to suddenly move back to the States and to tell them, you remember all that freedom you just enjoyed for a year? Now take it back. Um, I really wanted to keep our kids, you know, having that. And to my surprise, for the most part, it's been really okay. We really have not had anybody that's come to us. We've had um, our neighbors across the street who are friends. Uh, when we first moved in, I could tell that they parented a little differently and it kind of made them jump a little bit more. They have kids as well. They ended up buying these, um, I don't know what you call them, but they're these little signs that you can stick out on the road, like caution kids at play signs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are they like little like um, kind of like trifold 
plastic things that you set sort up, of. kind of like the the um, board cautioned wet floor kind type. of not quite i've okay. seen those too but these actually look like they're shaped kind of like plastic kids that are kind of glow in the dark it's oh. weird it's the oh, same yes, yes, it's yes, the same idea them. though so they bought two <laughs> to put one on one end of the block and one end on the other end of the block i mean not the entire street but you know our section of it because their kids suddenly wanted to play with our kids the way we let them like running you know just riding their bikes, yeah. running around to me. That's how you teach the kids to, our kids know to be careful with cars and all that stuff. Um, and so they bought those, I think, for their peace of mind. And I'm great with that. If that's what makes them feel better so that they let their kids out to play, fine with me. So their kids really play out in the street with our kids whenever they see our kids out there. Um, our neighbor kid next door, he's into, you know, melting stuff and lighting things on fire and he he built himself a forge in the backyard he's an old he's a young teen but my eight-year-old is enamored with him so we let him go over there and kind of learn how to play with fire responsibly because we can see him and it's fine with us um and so it's a lot of just I'm, i'm thinking it has somewhat to do with our neighborhood because our neighborhood is from honestly there are houses from the 1800s all the way through I think our house is one of the newer quote ones and it's 1935 and I want to say something about that type of neighborhood also facilitates a sort of mindset maybe but I don't doubt that there are still people that maybe keep you know peek outside with their window but I don't know I just find I'm kind of okay with it we don't let our eight-year-old um go without one of his siblings more than just a few blocks away but we do let our 11-year-old go down to the square so our the square is part of our historic neighborhood that's the we're in the county seat so the courthouse is in the middle of the square and then there's shops all around it including the library which he likes to go to and we have started to let him go by himself just to do a simple thing like return books or if he wants to bring some of his allowance to go get a scoop of ice cream or whatever we'll let him go by himself um but he has to take um his quote phone it's not really a phone it's one of our old phones so it's an ipod really but our square has free internet like it's just wi-fi so he has to connect as soon as he gets down there and he has to text us that he's there and um we uh, don't let him do this when we're not home and we're not aware and he has a sharp deadline you know he really can only do that about half an hour or so but so far nobody has like reported us or reported him to my knowledge it seems to be okay so i just say that as encouragement that i think maybe there's also a perception that we are more paranoid about than is reality though i don't doubt for a second that these experiences people have had are real and valid and infuriating to me personally, because um, that's, you know, a a thing that I feel pretty passionate about letting our kids have a lot of freedom. You're right. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I think you do get little comments from people here and there. But at the end of the day, you have, I mean, if that matters to you, that matters to you. And if it doesn't, you can let it go. And I think that you have the power to do that as an individual, right? Well, and I also wonder if maybe this has become a little bit more of a um, cultural idea that we're more aware of because I feel like 10 years ago, this conversation was on my mind and on other people's minds, this idea of why can't we let our kids have the freedoms we had when we were growing up. And um, the world is actually more dangerous back then than it is now. It's just that we have instant information 24 seven. So it feels more dangerous, but it's actually safer statistically. And I remember hearing this a lot 10 years ago, and I'm just wondering maybe perhaps it's it's a little bit well known now that, hey, giving kids freedom might be a good thing. So I don't know. That's just my guess. 
Yeah. And that, that might be a law of attraction too, though, <laughs> because True. I feel like you, you probably surround yourself with like-minded people most of the time. Um, and you're right, but you know, I find both. I think there are a lot of people that know it on an intellectual level, but have a hard time putting it into practice. Yeah, maybe true. Um, and there are some people that don't have a hard time putting it into practice. And I know that it's it's definitely a constant journey for me as my kids are getting older and they're still three and five. So it's still they're still at an age where I need to make sure that I'm keeping them alive all the time, especially my three-year-old who is pretty risk prone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just having that awareness and having that seed planted in my mind that I want to let them go a little bit further and I want to let them climb a little bit higher and explore those boundaries, I think will take me a long way, even if I can't always put it into practice depending on where I am and what we're doing. Yeah, no, you're probably right. I think there is something to that law of attraction. Now, I do have some friends who are a lot more um, hands-on than I am and we just kind of let it go and make it work, you know, but that tends to be with when they have younger kids. It's a little harder to be, you know, hands on, I would say when they get older, because they, your kids are vying for that freedom. They're not necessarily asking you to come alongside them and be with them. They want you to let go. And so um, it's a lot more almost, I don't want to say the opposite, but it's a lot more of like, uh, practice on your part, the parent to say, it's okay to let them go. You know, I will drop them off and just assume all will be well. And you know, that kind of thing. Right. As they grow and they have their own opinions about how they spend their time and what sort of things they have in their bedrooms. And what do do you have? Do you have any restrictions or rules around how much they can keep, how many of their own belongings they can have in their rooms? How do you handle that? We used to because toys used to be much more of a thing. And so I wouldn't say we had like hard rules, but we would have finite amount of um, containers. And so what they could keep, you know, I used to talk about this a lot more in my own stuff this idea of, you know, have nothing in your home that you don't believe to be useful or beautiful, uh, that with kids, the the terms of useful and beautiful might be different than what we as adults would say. So the collection of rocks on the windowsill might be beautiful to your kids. So that doesn't necessarily mean you get rid of them because you don't find them useful or beautiful. Um, And so we did have that idea for a long time. But I have found as kids have gotten older, and perhaps this is because this has been part of our family philosophy for a while now. So it is a little more ingrained in them that we don't struggle with having too much stuff anymore. In fact, um, I want to say maybe a year, year and a half ago, we put up a lot of toys that we still had out purely out of just habit. Like we hadn't really put them up yet that we noticed, oh gosh, nobody plays with these anymore. But we didn't necessarily want to get rid of them because either friends that would come over that had younger kids, or maybe they were nice enough where we wanted to hold on to them for future generations. We boxed them up and put them in the attic and nobody complained or even noticed really. And so all we have now, really the three toys that I mean, I'm saying toys, even in quotes that we have now out for our family to use are Lego. We have a craft cabinet that's out in the open. We've had this since, you know, day one, since our toddler or our oldest was a toddler. And it's just full of cardboard scraps and paper and glue and scissors and markers. And anybody can get anything at any time. And it's just an old dresser full of that stuff. And then the third toy quote is books. And so we have uh, a lot of books and we have them publicly out, you know, for everybody to have every, you know, everyone has a few of their own things in their room, but for the most part, all the books are out for everybody to use. And um, so we just make that a high priority by making them easily accessible. And that's it. Our kids don't really want anything else. I mean, I think maybe 
somebody has like a remote control, something that they got as a gift. And then our daughter who's older might have some of her own stuff that is more like in the nail polish line of toys now, you know. Um, But otherwise, I don't know, toys have become a non-issue, which is amazing to me because I feel like I blinked and suddenly here we are. It used to be much more of a thing of like, you know, being intentional about what we let in the house and what we don't, but they don't really ask anymore. So like when birthdays come up, we honestly don't know what to tell parents, like what they need because they don't need anything or want anything really. So I'm going to ask you a question that I get all the time and I do not have a good answer for, but what do you do about Legos? Um, When you say, what do you do? Do you mean in a storage sense? (laughs) Like how do you, I mean, do your kids have Legos? Do I, I feel like Legos are this slippery slope because it used to be this classic toy where you had one set and you could build anything. And now they're all these highly unique, individualized, almost puzzle like sets. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on, do you have your kids ever been into Legos? And well, well, that's the first, any thoughts on managing? That's the first toy that I mentioned. So we have Lego craft cabinet in this case. So the first one is Lego. The second is the craft cabinet and the third is book. So that's really the only toy we do have. And so um, when it comes to Lego, whenever we would get a set, usually it's my youngest who's into those now. He tends to build them right away with the instructions and kind of, you know, enjoy those immediately. But then, and so he'll display them. He has some shelves where he can display his little creation. But for the most part, all the the Lego just end up into one giant bucket. And then we have a separate kind of box where we keep um, the Lego booklet instructions. And so we have those in a stack. And so whenever the mood strikes and he wants to build one of those, he can get out the instruction and then go digging. Because to me, that's part of the fun of Lego, I guess, is, you know, hunting and gathering and finding and improvising if you can't find the right piece. And so it's just one giant bucket at this point, And that seems to work well for us. Okay, that's good to hear. Because I feel like a lot of people try to put a lot of effort into the organization of them. And that effort can be so overwhelming mm-hmm. on a parent's behalf. Yeah, I, you know, I thought of that for a hot second. If my kids were more into maybe uh, you know, really intensely into Lego building, I might consider that. But really, they just see it as, you know, this is just play for them. So into a giant bucket it goes. And that's how we've treated all the toys, you know, before we put up everything else. We just had buckets of toys, those IKEA, um, I, the Trofast system is what it's called, but they're just the plastic buckets. And we just dump everything into there and just label them cars or blocks or whatever. So they go in by category, but n- beyond that, heck no. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Good to know. So I read your book at home in the world. I'm, it was when I lived in Dallas and I remember specifically, I listened to it actually while I was pushing a stroller. I want to say it was probably 2015, maybe when did your book? It was 2017. So it was, was it 2017? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, maybe right before I moved. Well there, I've had two other books. So maybe it was a different book. I don't know. No, it was definitely at okay. home in the world because that was the first one that I read. Uh, yeah. It. So are so are you working on anything new now? What's mm-hmm. what's on your horizon? Yeah. So I am working on um, two different books. So um, one is fiction, and this has been the the direction I'm planning to head in my writing career from now on is fiction, unless I am you know besotted with something I absolutely have to get down on paper. Um, but before that comes out, I am writing one more nonfiction book that I just signed a contract for, actually. So it doesn't come out for a long time, but um, 
a publisher approached me about this idea. It is an Advent book. So it's basically an Advent book for people that don't like Advent books or don't like devotionals. It's it's a very simple approach to the Advent season where it's not it doesn't have crafts. It does not have recipes. It is a simple open and go thing to do with your family where it's a reading. It's uh, historic art to look at. And it's a song to play based on, you know, the playlist that I have curated. And, um, you know, it, it's how to do the Advent celebration with the candles. And um, it's going to be much more of a... I, this isn't the official book term, but like a coffee table type book. So it's going to be pretty. They're going to do, they want to do four color. It's going to have gilded edges and all that kind of stuff. So because of that, it's not going to be out for a while because that takes a while. So October, 2020 is when that book comes out. So Oh, that sounds exciting. It is. It is. So I'm in the process of writing that right now, and I'm loving it. And then as soon as uh, that manuscript is turned in, I'm going right back to working on my fiction. Great. So have you published any fiction yet? Or is this a new venture? Not yet. It's a brand new venture. It's a whole different approach to writing as well, both writing and publishing. So it's a brand new experience for me. We'll see if it even happens. As far as I am concerned, I would love for this to happen, but it's a different beast altogether. Oh, well, I'm excited to see it. That's that's a really cool transition. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it too, for sure. Awesome. Well, I am going to put the links to The Art of Simple and The Simple Show in the podcast. And do you have anything else that you want to share anywhere else that you'd like to send people? Um, Honestly, The Art of Simple is where they can find absolutely everything, really. TishOxenwriter.com is also where you can find info on my classes that I teach. I lead trips. I, you know, do those kinds of things as well. The Art of Simple is just, you know, one part of my business. But you can honestly find everything there as well. Okay, great. Well, I will put all those links in there. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Thanks for listening today. If you want to learn more about Tish and the things that we talked about in this episode, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 153. And I would truly love to have you join us in the challenge that starts this Friday, April 12th. If you're interested in learning more about simple living and you don't have a ton of time and energy to dedicate towards it, this is your chance to try it out. Go to simplefamilies.com forward slash challenge. I look forward to chatting more with you there. As always, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate having you as a part of the Simple Families community. Have a good one.